0: If you have your copy of Scripture, John 6, and we're beginning at verse 1, John 6, the first verse, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. Uh, While you're finding that, if you're going to be around, we'd love to have you at five o'clock here for our deacon ordination service. I hope you'll come into this room to celebrate with your church family. And to support uh, our new deacons, their number being uh, ordained, which is a great sign of health and strength. And uh, so I hope you'll be here at five to help us celebrate. We're going to read from John chapter one, beginning at the first verse. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. There Jesus, uh, his, his... his miracles are, of course, all spectacular. There's nothing quite like the stilling of the storm. That's a breathtaking miracle, and the healings, of course, warm our hearts, and and they're amazing. And then, of course, the the, the raising of people from the dead, the son of a widow, and Jairus's daughter, and and the, uh, Lazarus walked out of the tomb alive. Those are jaw dropping, beyond amazing. But if if if, if, we're, if we're talking cool, I think the coolest miracle was, was two fish and five loaves of bread and, and feeding thousands of people. Think about it. The problem was overwhelming. The problem was overwhelming. The crowd was uncountable. The obstacles insurmountable. The hunger was lamentable. The Unpreventable, and the disciples might have said, This is impossible, and we are not responsible. It would have been easy to be hopeless. It's easy today to be hopeless, is it not? The needs are so great, the news so bad, from Gaza to Ukraine to the problems in our own lives, it would be easy to, to be hopeless. We don't, we we don't want to watch the news. There's actually a, I I don't understand it all, but there's a, there's a medical uh, description of our, our desire not to watch the news. It's like shutting down. We don't want to see anymore. Like, I don't want to watch the news. I don't want to see the bad news anymore. It's enough, it's, it's so bad, it's bad enough almost to turn off the news and watch a Hallmark Christmas movie, and it's almost, (laughs) almost that bad. That is an exaggeration, but it's almost, it's almost that bad. <laughs> the problem was, was overwhelming. And the solution was, was underwhelming. I mean, it's almost, must have been laughable. Uh, two loaves of bread, or five loaves of bread and two fish, now come on. It's not only easy to feel hopeless, it's easy to feel helpless. And, in light of all the needs and all the problems, both internationally and personally with us, it's easy to feel like I can't do anything, I, I, it's easy to feel helpless. But I do want you to remember what Edward Hale wrote. He wrote, I am, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And Because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do that one thing. That I can do. The problem was overwhelming. The solution was underwhelming. And then a miracle multiplied a meager offering and it became a mountain of a meal. How did, that, how did that happen? There's a gospel song that we used to sing when I was a kid Little is much when God is in it. And I know that sounds corny and it sounds preachy, but it's true. Little is much when God is in it. Jesus took a little bit, sincerely offered, nothing withheld, without any demand for repayment or recognition, and fed thousands, and then they had so much leftover, they had baskets full of leftovers, and, and the people said, surely this is the one we've been waiting for. Dal mentioned Henry Blackaby. And, um, experiencing God Henry Blackaby wrote when, when I say that that God can't use me to do anything significant that says more about my understanding of God than it does about me when you say God can't use me to do anything significant that says more about your understanding of God than about your humility because think of it if I say that that I don't have anything that God can use that, that if I say that God can't do anything through me, what's that, what that really is saying is God is so weak and His resources so limited that He needs me to bring a bunch of stuff to the table so He can do something with it. And that, of course, is ridiculous. It's, he doesn't need a whole lot from us. So, the problem was overwhelming. The solution was underwhelming. And then a miracle multiplied, a, a meager offering so that it became a mountain of a meal. So, God can take a little, like Miss Kristen said, and make a lot out of it. So, let's talk about your loaves and fish. Of course, your loaves and fish are time and talent and, yes, treasure. And, yes, we're going to talk about treasure, but I want to say right up front, I'm not going to plead with you to give money to First Baptist. My job, my calling, is not to be a fundraiser. My calling is to be a disciple maker. And I believe that if you and I will be good disciples, faithful disciples, then God will take care of His church. Now Carrie and I believe that our best way to invest in the world here and beyond is to give our tithes, a tenth of our income, and our offerings above that through this church. But that may not be true for you. And I'm not gonna — I'll not know what you give. And I 'm not going to plead f- with you to, to give all your money here. that's between you and God. However, it is part of my role to talk about generosity because generosity is part of discipleship. So here are four things the Bible says about generosity. Number one, we're supposed to give according to our income. First Corinthians 16:2 each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income now my my assumption my hunch is somebody's watching this and you're struggling financially this is a really hard time and you're feeling already really uncomfortable let me put you at ease if if your income right now is not what you wish it were and you can't be as generous as you wish you could then please don't heap on, upon yourself shame and don't I, I don't want to I don't want you to feel any pressure We're supposed to give according to our income, meaning that if right now things are not good financially, God's expectations of you are are not high, just frankly. We're supposed to give according to our income. However, some of you are doing really well. And if you will Google, I Googled this week, charitable contributions by income level. Charitable contributions by, this is not church, it's not Faith based, it's just charitable contributions in America. The income bracket of 100,000 to a million gives less than any other income bracket in our country by percentage. The bracket 100,000 to a million gives less percentage wise than anybody in our country. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm not in that bracket. Now I understand that. But some of you are. And some of you might be giving as if you were not blessed like that. <clears throat> when we lived in Richmond, I was I, — I don't, I don't look like it, but I used to be in a class called Body Pump. And um, that was a little too much laugh from Aaron. So um, there was a class. People, a lot of people in the class, and uh, we all did the same exercises. But you de- you determined the the difficulty by the weights that you chose. So at the beginning of the class, we'd go over to the racks where the dumbbells and the barbells were, and you would choose your weight. And so you'd get. We all would do the same exercises. But again, your difficulty was based on the weights that you chose so you know we would all do curls and you know i might be using 15 and you might be using 20 it was all you know personalized and the the, the idea was that you would progress that you would all you know as you got stronger and more fit you would be using bigger weights unfortunately for me the <coughs> the class leader <coughs> It was Susie, who was a member of our church, and she knew my name and didn't mind calling me out. And I remember one day in particular, I always was in the back — I got on the back row, but she called out in front of all my fellow body pumpers. She said, Travis, are you increasing your weights? And I did the walk of shame over to the, to the rack, and I got I — got, I put my little probably, you know, five pounds in and got ten pounds. And so, I would ask you. Are you increasing your weights? It's all personal. But as God blesses us financially, we're supposed to give according to our income. Some of us may be giving as if we have not been so wildly blessed financially. One of my best friends is John Luckett, and he tells this story. I don't have to — this is not out of school. He tells it. When he grew up in rural Kentucky, and he was poor, poor. He worked his way through University of Kentucky, and, and um, he got a really good job, and he had a great career. He, d- he did very well financially, and he was in his mid-30s when he said to me one day, Travis, I can no longer afford to tithe. Because a tenth of a lot is more than a tenth of a little. And when, for him, we used to write checks in those days, and he would say for to, to write that big a check is really impossible for me now. Well, he eventually saw the fallacy of that and it literally changed his life. He became a much more joyous person when he realized that he could and should increase his weights. We are to give according to our income, which means if this is a hard time and you're struggling, it's a different expectation. But if God has blessed you and me, then the expectations are are pretty high. We're supposed to give according to our income. Second, we need a plan and the discipline to follow the plan. Proverbs 2.15, the plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. So plan might mean a budget. A budget and the discipline to follow the budget. And some of us might have to, in order to be generous to our God-given capacity, might have to cut out some things. Again, back when we lived in Richmond, our backyard was covered with trees and very little grass. There were so many trees that most of the, the yard underneath the grass was mainly dirt and rock and Carrie and I didn't have grandkids then, but we were hoping and praying one day we would. And Carrie uh, one day came in from out there and she said, we, 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 we need grass. And we, we had, so, so we started sowing grass seeds, but they wouldn't come up. And people who knew said that as long as we had all those trees out there, we would never have a good, have good grass because the trees suck up nutrients apparently and they had too much shade. They said, you're going to have to cut the trees. Well, i I put my foot down. Carrie said, we're going to cut the trees. And I, I put my foot down. I said, I like those trees. We're not going to cut those trees. And, and Carrie smiled. And, uh, and we, cut, we cut every tree in the, in the backyard. <laughs> but you know what? If you go today, if you go to that yard, 2461 Swanhurst Drive in Midlothian, Virginia, in the backyard, you'll see, a oh, it's beautiful grass. Kids can play. But we had to get rid of the trees and to get the grass. What do you want financially? My hunch is it's three things. My hunch is that you want peace of mind about the future. And that you want to sleep well and not worry about debt. And in your heart of hearts, you want the joy of generosity. You you want peace of mind, you want to sleep well, and you want the joy of generosity. For some of you, that will require cutting down some trees you'll have to sacrifice some non-essentials in your budget. You'll have to have the discipline to follow your budget. To get what you want, you may have to get rid of some things. You, You may have to cut some of your expenditures. The discipline to follow a budget will give you peace of mind, let you sleep, and give you the joy of Generosity. So, we're supposed to give according to our income, not less or more. Not supposed to hold money too tightly or give it or, or waste it. We're also supposed to follow the plan. Third thing the Bible says about uh, generosity is hearses are not equipped with luggage racks. Bible actually didn't say that, George Strait said that in a country music song. He said, I've never seen a hearse with a luggage rack. But the Bible does say in 1 Timothy 6-7, we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. All those things we accumulate will someday belong to someone else, or they will be discarded altogether. That's kind of humbling for me. You know, I like my car. It's a 2011. It's kind of an old car, but I love my car. One day it will be in the junkyard. I, I like my golf clubs and I like my books. And one day, my my golf clubs will be will gather dust somewhere, and my kids will read a few of the books. They'll get some of them, put it on their shelves, make them look smart when I'm gone. But I, you know, they will. Uh, they they know my my books will gather dust. Joel Idzen has took his. Seven-year-old daughter, Kristen, to the city dump. He said, we didn't go there to, to get rid of trash. We went to look. And so, he, pulled, he backed his car up to the dump and put Kristen, his seven-year-old, up on the roof and gave her a pad and a pen. And he asked her to, to write everything she saw in the dump. He said she wrote a plastic swimming pool and several lawn chairs. Barbie doll, bicycles, skateboards, pretend ovens, radios, televisions, everything a seven-year-old girl dreams of, he said, and more were there. He said that he he believed he and Kristen would never forget the day that they went to the garbage dump, for it was a stark reminder that um, one day everything, everything we have Will either be owned by somebody else, or discarded altogether. This week, we we shot TV Church out in a cotton field up near New Market, beautiful place. The place where we parked our cars to to shoot the 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 message was um, we realized was an old old home place. The Mitchells we learned lived there. There was a time when uh, the laughter of children rang through those halls and walls, and there was a day when the kids played outside, and in those days, probably dad would go off to the fields and mom would cook supper. The Mitchell family has a lot of memories in that place, but it's, the only thing left is a just a few little, like there's a, there's, it looks like concrete where they wrote something and it just, it just gone. One day the house I live in will, somebody's gonna live there who, who doesn't even know my name and they might do what they're doing so often now, tear it down, build a bigger one. The hearses don't have luggage racks and we didn't bring it into the world, Jesus said, the Bible says, and we don't take it out. So we're supposed to give according to our income, not more and not less. And <clears throat> we've talked about how, how God takes a little and does a lot with it, of course, and, and yet we have to be disciplined with a plan, with a — call it a budget, if you will, and, and it's just a good reminder that, that everything we cherish, all the stuff we cherish, uh, one day will gather dust. Before I tell you the fourth thing the Bible says about being generous, I want to tell you a story. My favorite story from Six Flags Over Georgia. So we uh, we had gone. This was 1996, and uh, our, our Landon, our oldest, was 11, and uh, Brennan, our daughter, was nine, and Grant over here he was six, and. Um, it was near the end of the day. We were at the, uh, the carnival section. It may not even be there different now. It was 1996, but that was where it looks like a county fair, you know, where you, you, know, you, you win stuff that's worth less than you paid to win it, right? You know, you know how that works. You know, you throw balls and knock bottles down, and, and you shoot at ducks going back and forth. Well, um, our, our two little boys walked over to the place where you shot a basketball. And so, you'd pay, I don't know, a dollar, whatever it was, for a basketball, and you'd shoot. And if you made it, then you could get a basketball. And they had — the basketballs down there were uh, from every school, every university you could imagine, had the logo on it. And so, Landon, uh, the 11-year-old, he went up and paid his dollar or whatever it was, and um, they gave him his basketball. And he dribbled a few times, and um, my, my, my expectations were not, were not high. But uh, he shot the basketball, and he, and he made it. And so, he immediately grabbed uh, the basketball of his choice. I, I'm not going to tell you which one he grabbed. It would split the church if uh, you knew which, which school he grabbed. And then, and then Grant stepped up there, and he's six. And he paid his money, and they gave him a basketball to shoot. And uh, he dribbled a couple of times. It's a long way from, from that line to that little hoop where you're supposed to shoot the basketball into. And uh, Grant shot it, and, and he missed. And he was so disappointed. We were all disappointed. And then, and then Landon, big brother, stepped up. And he said, let me see if, let me see if I can win a basketball for you. And they pooled their money. Their mother was so cheap. <laughs> she wouldn't give them enough money to, you know, for whatever they wanted. It was just a limited, she took a plan. He had a plan. She was disciplined. And so, bless their hearts, had just a little bit of money left. And, but, the, but Landon and, and, and Grant pooled their money and, and Landon the 11 year old stepped up and he dribbled a couple of times and um and he and he let it go and you know those things are rigged right the hoop is just barely larger than the ball and it, I think it's probably at a, a tilt or something you know so he let it go and um it looked good when it left his hand. And it went in and we all cheered and Grant cheered and he went over and got him a Kentucky basketball, the blue and white, go big blue. He got him a Kentucky basketball and, and we headed toward the, the exit. Two happy boys, both dribbling their new basketballs. And then, and then it happened, Landon the oldest, uh, Came up next to me and he said, Dad, you know, winning that ball for Grant felt better than winning the ball for myself. Why would he say that? Because he's wired like that. And so are you. I said, I want to tell you that story before I tell you what the fourth thing the Bible says about about generosity and it comes from the book of Acts and it says remember that the words that the that the Lord Jesus himself said Acts 2035 I believe it is it is better to it is more blessed to give than to receive you see that's how God wired you if I may paraphrase Jesus it feels better to win the basketball for your brother than to win it for yourself. Because that's how you're wired. Some of us are missing out on the joy of generosity. Either we, we think it's not important or we're not disciplined enough to have enough to be generous with. So I want you to decide, you and God, you decide where it goes but go from this place and in this place be generous 490 is the